sorry it's come to this. Who would believe when we made Milton the friendly elephant that some of you today would be wound in anger? Four stores, many Christmases ago, my father brought forth a factory conceived in innocence and joy and squeezable fun for everyone. But today may be the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning, or the beginning of the beginning. And when you go forth today, or fifth, depending on your order in line, we are here today to put you in harm's way. Because we determine today in this warehouse the future of toys as we know it. Whether it be toys of fun and innocence or toys for total tough warfare. Now, Mr. Penguin, if you don't do it today, you're an endangered species, you know that. Now, many of you have never seen your own fluff. Many of you are just out of the boxes. You've never seen your own springs lying on the ground, but I tell you today, that's not gonna be the case. I want you to wade into them. I want them to spill their batteries. I want them to break off their antenna. I want those plastic behemoths to be a bubbling botch of goo. In the words of Barbie, I had a dream house. I know you can do it. Spin your balls, move your plates, skip your ropes. You, Mr. Twirly, blind them with the best you can. In the words of Mahatma Gumby, we are toys of tolerance, but there's only so much that our toy can tolerate. Do what you must, you simple, gentle few, for I would rather have you by my side than any remote control gadget that I've ever seen. Because you are, and even you, even you, Alien Al, pay a little attention because you were never a big seller. But we stood by you. So now is the time not to ask what Zevo can do for you, but what you can do for Zevo. Let's all bob our heads for a brief moment of prayer. Those who can. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. All right, so we are digging into another entry here. Uh, we are switching gears from our last one, which was a kind of... World War II sports escape drama, uh, yeah, Men on a Mission movie with uh, Escape to Victory, and we are now looking at 1992's Toys. This is directed by Barry Levinson. Uh, I actually don't have his credits in front of me, but I do know a good number of Barry Levinson movies off the top of my head. Uh, he did Good Morning Vietnam. He did Diner. That was his first movie, I believe. Um, he did... Um, uh, man, what are some other, uh, I think he did Man of the Hour that, uh, Robin Williams, he worked with Robin Williams a good deal, um, cause he worked with Robin Williams here as well, and then obviously Good Morning Vietnam. I'm gonna go ahead and just cheat and, uh, look up Barry Levinson movies because, uh, oh, he did Rain Man, I know Rain Man, and then what else, what else, Wag the Dog, very good film, Wag the Dog, and he did The Natural, also a very good film. He did a lot of different movies in a lot of different genres. Uh, the last one he directed was in 2015, Rock the Casbah, that had Bill Murray in it. It was not very good. Um, and his, the later part of his career, I would say, hasn't been particularly great. Um, but yeah, early in his career, he had a number of significant hits. So Diner, The Natural, Good Movie Vietnam, Rain Man, uh, he did Bugsy. Uh, Disclosure, I think, was a success. Uh, Wag the Dog. Sphere isn't great, but it's got some decent parts and stuff. 
Um, but yeah, he did a lot of different genres because, you know, he's got like sports movies in there. He's got some adventure movies in there. Toys, uh, which is what we're looking at here today, is, you know, kind of like a dramedy, uh, kind of a quirky dramedy, I guess. Um, Wag the Dogs, like political satire, sphere, science fiction. Um, he did some straight up comedies. Um, yeah. So he's kind of an interesting director and he tried to seem to try to push himself in, uh, in doing a lot of different genres, but often, uh, he would come back to comedy in some form that, that his films would like, not every time, but it would often kind of have like comedy sensibilities to them. All right. So toys stars, Robin Williams as Leslie Zebo, Michael Gambon. I think it's Sir Michael Gambon, isn't it? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Sir Michael Gammon, the great Sir Michael Gammon, uh, who is probably best known these days for um, being Dumbledore, but he's been in tons and tons of movies over his career. Uh, I particularly love him in The Life Aquatic, uh, as does at least one of our panelists. Uh, but yes, yeah, Sir Michael Gammon is uh, Lieutenant General Leland Zevo. Uh, Jack Warden, he was a character actor that was in tons of stuff. Uh, I don't have his credits in front of me, but I know he was in stuff going back as far as 12 Angry Men in the 50s. Um, and he was in a bunch of other stuff. You would recognize him if you saw him. I'm almost positive he was in Dirty Work. He's the old dying man in Dirty Work. Um, but he, here he plays, uh, an old general, uh, old, his name literally is Old General Zevo. Uh, Joan Cusack plays... Alsatia Zevo, uh, so that is Robin Williams' sister. Uh, Robin Wright, uh, just a couple years before she was in Forrest Gump, shows up as Gwen Tyler. Um, and LL Cool J is in this for some reason as Captain Patrick Zevo. Uh, he is uh, he is Michael Gambon's character's son. And then Donald O'Connor, uh, who would be most famous for uh, being in Singing in the Rain, I think. And he did other things, but uh, like the Make Him Laugh sequence in Singing in the Rain. And he was a comedian and singer and dancer. Uh, so I think this is one of his last roles. So he plays Kenneth Zevo, and that's Robin Williams' father uh, and, and Alsatia's father. Uh, Jamie Foxx has a very small part in this. Uh, Arthur Mallet uh, or Millet, I'm not sure. Uh, he plays a character named Owen Owens, uh, who is sort of a Smithers in this world. Um, he, uh, he was in the original Halloween. He's a character actor, British character actor. He's in the original Halloween. Um, he's the guy that leads Dr. Loomis to the gravesite, And he is, uh, he's in Hook. He is, uh, Toodles in Hook. Um, and then he, so he was in some stuff like in his later career, you know, so you might recognize him as like an older man from, uh, from like the eighties and nineties. Um, so that's kind of the main cast people, uh, you know, the cast that's in it. The crux of the plot is that Robin Williams is a quirky Robin Williams, goofball Robin Williams. His father, Donald O'Connor is also a goofball. Donald O'Connor runs a toy, toy factory, uh, Zevo Toys. Um, and they just make very like whimsical toys and stuff. And Donald O'Connor is dying. Um, and instead of selecting his son, Leslie, to run the toy factory, which he basically wants to do, he doesn't think Leslie is ready to do that. And so instead he chooses his brother who is, uh, is not like a goofball or anything. He is this like literal militant guy. He's been in the military for years. His, their father was in the military for years 
He just has this like all out, you know, uh, type A personality and sees everything through a military lens. And so then the central plot of the movie is essentially the clash between Robin Williams, like quirky and fun loving guy versus this like straight laced guy who wants to control everything. Um, so that's kind of the crux of it. Um, it was a critical and commercial failure. And uh, we can go into a lot of different aspects of, like, you know, more aspects on the plot and then, like, what's going on in terms of visuals and things like that. But from here, I would say I'll just go ahead and introduce our cast. So uh, we have uh, returning after an extended absence. I'm not sure the last one he was on. He might remember, but I don't. Um, we have Matt returning. So uh, welcome, Matt. Hello. Yes, I believe the last one I was on was that uh, critically acclaimed hit, The Talking Cat. A Talking Cat? A Talking Cat. Yes, yes, A Talking Cat. Uh, a uh, One of many films to have been created by man, and we watched it. That's generous. Uh, yes. All right, and uh, also coming back here, um, I think the last time he was on was for Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, or or exists possibly exists I think exists uh, exists okay or were, were you on the Garth Marenghi's? I was on both. Okay, all right. Well, I, I uh, all right. You know, I, I do a lot of these. So, um, but uh, okay. So last time was exists, and uh, we are doing this movie. We are doing toys at his behest. He has been requesting this for some time. Uh, he is a fan of the film Toys, so we are doing it here, and we're going into December. So this is one of our, uh, this is not our Christmas film. We will have that coming up. I'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, but this is a very seasonal movie, not just because of the toys as the focus, but it actually ties in Christmas at different points. So uh, we are welcoming back Ryan to be able to talk about Toys. It's whimsical, Linton. It sure is. Well, that's all the time we have, so. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, plot-wise, we can go into some particulars, um, you know, uh, but I, I don't think there's really anything I have to put out there uh, at the top um, past what I already did. So I'll just open the floor. What do we make of toys? So 12-year-old Matt loved this movie. Uh, 39-year-old Matt does not care for it. <laughs> um, I, uh, so I, I, I was doing, uh, doing some, some browsing on the Wikipedia where I do all of my research and, uh, this movie grossed like $23 million, uh, had a $50 million budget, uh, all of which I presume went into, the uh, whimsical jackets Robin Williams wears throughout the, <laughs> throughout the movie. They did get an Academy Award nomination for set design or art direction and costumes. So uh, both of those I thought were fantastic. I especially enjoyed that they chose to set the entire movie in a Windows 95 desktop wallpaper. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely talk about the production design, yeah. but I would argue certainly deserved for, uh, you know, Oscar nomination for that. Oh, it was beautiful. I mean, it, it was beautiful, and the sets were, were like, fantastic and whimsical, 
and they were just it was just very well dressed. It's a very yep. well dressed movie. Mm-hmm. Brian, I assume I was also twelve when it came out, and I liked it then. I remember renting it in Mega Man Five the same day. It was it was a good day. Uh, now um, I can see its flaws, <laughs> but, but, I, but I still I still like it. Oh. Had you watched it uh, in, in some time, or no? It's probably been about twenty years. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> okay, all right. You've been pushing hard for this one, though. Pushing yeah, for us to watch toys, so I could uh, watch it. <laughs> I, I do not remember it being so slow. Yeah, it. Is, uh, it, it, it it moves at quite a leisurely pace. That is one of the criticisms I saw was, you know, I mean, uh, that it's, I mean, it's a two hour movie and based on the plot that it's telling, it's not a complex plot and you pretty much know where things are headed. There's maybe a couple surprises, but you basically know the central idea of like, all right, there's going to be some conflict over this stuff. There's going to be some zany things. Um, and, you know, you could do that in an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes. Like, you don't hmm. you don't need two hours for this movie. Uh, so, and I don't know exactly if I were to go in and say, like, okay, where do, where do you cut? What do you get rid of? But maybe it's just, like, some of these scenes just, like, oh, you just cut off 30 seconds here. You just don't need this part of the exchange. You just cut you know, cut it down. And so you keep the same kind of beats. Um, there's probably a couple scenes that you just flat out don't need, but, um, but you could make it a tighter, probably more enjoyable movie. If you cut, I'd say 20 minutes. I, I mean, I don't think it's like a success at that point, but it's less yeah. of a failure at that point. <laughs> I'll tell you, we did definitely need the scene where it explained why, General Zevo speaks with a British accent, but everyone else in his family does not. I was telling Ryan before we started, so yeah, so Michael Gambon is obviously British, and I don't know if he's ever spoken with an American accent in film, but I've certainly seen him speak with a British accent in like 50 movies. And so I was telling Ryan, like, I'm positive that that scene was written to explain his English accent because like he even says like he's like that his father he's they do it in context where he's like he didn't get to become a four-star general American general because he sounded English and so like nobody like respected him the way like they would respect other Americans and it's because he grew up in England when his father was stationed there that's the explanation but the father says something like he could have gone to like a dialect coach or something. He's like, I did all that. And the best I could come up with. And then he does this really like mangled Southern accent that sounds terrible, <laughs> which is like, this has to be, they had to have like gotten to a point in the production where they're like, we love Michael Gammon. He's an amazing actor. We're not recasting this. We just have to come up with a fucking explanation. So let's just say he's real bad at this accent. And then that's just part of the character. Like it has to be. Yeah. And he is a great actor. I love Michael Gammon, and he's good in this for what he's given. Um, But yeah, for myself, uh, this is one... I've talked about this on the show before. Uh, I grew up with HBO, 
And anyone who grew up with HBO back in the day, it's probably still the same way. But like back in the day, you know, like in the 80s, 90s and the 2000s, um, HBO would show the same movie on repeat for, you know, six months to a year or more. Um, And I've also often said that I think a lot of times HBO, this is my guess looking back on it. I wouldn't have known at the time. I think HBO and Showtime and some of those other places worked as sort of a dumping ground. My, my guess is how it worked was, you know, HBO would have great movies. They might have Batman and Back to the Future and other, like, big hits, Independence Day, whatever. But my guess is studios would be like, oh, yeah, we'll give you that, but you have to take these 10 or 15 other movies that we can't sell to anyone else because they were failures. And so, because looking back on it, there's a lot of movies I saw on HBO, like, numerous times because they were just on TV, that, like, I later now know were not critical or financial successes. So, like, we recently did Radio Flyer on the show. And Radio Flyer, yeah, well, Radio Flyer was a big flop. And Toys was a big flop. And uh, we did Mom and Dad Save the World on the show. Matt, you were on that. And uh, and that was a failure. And so, like, a lot of these movies, like, are things, I think, that got kind of, like, packet. my guess is package deals of, like, yeah, yeah, sure, but you have to take these. Right. Um, so, yeah, I probably saw Toys, you know, numerous times on TV, on HBO, because it was, I don't know, PG-13 is my guess. I don't know what the rating is. I mean, it's not yeah. any harder than that. Yeah, it sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, there's some, like, risque bits, but it's 92, so they even could have made been doing a pg with this because it was still in the early days of pg-13 um but yeah so it would have been on during the day and they would have aired it you know multiple times in a week and then over the course of months so yeah i've seen toys many times um i can't say it was ever something i loved but it was like as a kid you don't really have discerning tastes and then also it's just like visually pretty cool, which we'll talk yeah. about that. So that would have been like a drawing factor of just like, oh, this movie's neat. Even if you're like not really thinking about like, oh, this movie sucks. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, like my feeling on it was never that it like as a kid or even before rewatching it for the show, it was never that this movie was bad. I always liked elements of it and I still like elements of it. Um, mm. I still think there's some good stuff even beyond the um, uh, the visuals. I think there's some parts that work, um, but yeah. Just ultimately, what was my note on it? Like the, the movie is trying really hard, um, but it just sort of seems meandering, and so that runtime could be a component of that. It's not the only thing, but if you trimmed it down to an hour forty, um, I guess my recommendation was you need to trim this movie down to an hour forty, and it needs to be funnier. If this movie was like Beetlejuice funny, yeah, like because because Beetlejuice is also in a zany world that's very visual. Um, I think this movie people could really because this plot is pretty simple, um, but you just really need jokes to keep the audience going. And it's not that it's humorless, but it has some decent jokes, and then it has some jokes where you're like, well, that's like nothing, and then it'll have a lot of times where there's just no jokes. Just nothing, um, or or some stuff that's just bad, like like the LL Cool J running bit of how how much of a you know like a, how good he is at at uh, camouflage and hiding and stuff, and like they really go back to that a lot. 
You take that back, Linton, because that is one of the highlights. <laughs> I just want well, to Well, apologies see... to Mr. Yeah. Cool J, but... <laughs> I want to see the army of uh, seamstresses that he has on retainer that he just calls up at a moment's notice and like, hey, I need a paisley jumpsuit to match these drapes. Make it happen. Got to go to a dinner party and can't go in the front door and be seen. <laughs> or maybe he's just a very skilled tailor, and that's one of his uh, many abundant oh. skills that he honed as a master of the covert arts. I like it. All right, see, so let's... See, that's what, this, that's what this movie is missing. Solid backstory for LL Cool J's character. <laughs> or front story, for that matter. Um... <laughs> Okay, so let's avoid talking about the visuals because I think we'll probably all be in agreement on that. We can talk about that at length. Um, That'll be a good positive thing. So let's do that a little later in the episode. Uh, We can talk about any other aspect, positive or negative. I'd say just let's, we've done that kind of thing on other episodes where it's like, all right, well, let's hold off on this because we know we'll have things to say. So let's avoid talking about the visuals and let's go anywhere else. So what do you want to talk about? Any other aspects? We can talk character cast, dialogue, the story, anything you want to do. So Robin Williams is one of my heroes, my one of my comedic heroes. And sure. he's just not very good in this. I I like alternate between seeing scenes where he's either like too restrained or mm-hmm. not restrained enough and he just kind of goes off and does the Robin Williams thing, but it just kind of gets to like a three and a half and then it it like stops. And Mm -hmm. I just don't think, I just don't think he is uh, very good in this. Uh, Yeah. On that, I saw uh, like some critics saying, you know, critics or or contemporary reviews. I can't remember what it was just saying that. Yeah. I mean, they were saying like he like sleepwalks his way through it, which I don't know is not necessarily fair, because I mean, I, I think he's trying. I, I don't. I don't think he didn't give a fuck because he liked working with Barry Levinson clearly, and I think the sensibilities of the movie mesh with like stuff he liked. But yeah, I, like there, someone's argument was like he needed to be more like Gene Wilder because yeah. if you have if you have like this general who's supposed to be super straight laced, and is that's one part you know that's one pole of this. Robin Williams needs to be like. Uh, kind of forced to be reckoned with in this other way. But a lot of the movie, he's just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to wander around and be slightly silly. It's like that Monty Python bit, this, like the slightly silly party. Like, no, you need the silly party for Robin Williams. You need He needs to be that extreme. Yeah, and I don't know if it, like, if if it goes to the movies he just came off of, which I don't might have been Aladdin. Or, you know, the, he had a really big run. Yeah where he was like awesome where he was incredible and this one was a little bit of a letdown watching it again as an adult yeah the aladdin thing funny you mentioned that so they came out the same year and actually this movie came out like i don't know if it was like within a couple weeks of aladdin mm-hmm. or something and uh there's kind of a famous bit where robin williams had a falling out with disney um, and he refused to work with them for years. They eventually reconciled, um, and so he like so that's why he that's why he didn't do the voice of genie in Return of Jafar. It was Dan right. Castellaneta from Simpsons, 
but he did come back for the third one. Uh, I mean, those were both direct-to-video and stuff. He came back for the third one, and then I think maybe there were some other Disney-produced things he was involved in, like Old Dogs or whatever the fuck that was. I think he did one of those. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, I think he did some other Disney stuff. But, yeah, so basically what happened was the movies were going to come out really close together, and he didn't want Aladdin to overshadow this movie that he was, like, starring in. Um, and so the deal he made with Disney was, like... Uh, don't use my name on the promotional stuff and don't have the genie take up more than like 25% of like posters and stuff. And that's what, and they agreed to that. And his, you know, his reasoning was because he just didn't want it. He wanted his own movie to like have some viability. So it wasn't, people weren't just like, Oh, I just saw a Robin Williams movie. And then Disney said, eventually, uh, fuck that. Uh, starring Robin Williams. And then the genie's like the biggest fucking thing on the poster. Yeah. And so then he was pissed. And then I think he sued them. But he definitely stopped working with them for a long time. And then they eventually, I think, settled with him. And he was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do stuff again. But yeah, so uh, Robin Williams stopped working for Disney, both because of their practices and... Because of the major motion picture toys. That's a legacy. Yeah. So that's him. How about anyone else cast-wise? What do we think? Orion, do you have Robin Williams thoughts? All the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I agree with Matt. He was uh, toned down and some of like what you think might have been ad-libbing wasn't even like funny. Like when he's having a lunch with uh, Robin Wright, John Penn's ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, it just kind of goes on. You're like, okay, this is, this is okay. Oh, it's still going. Is he like advertising this fart machine? <laughs> uh, and we're done. But they're falling in love, Ryan. They're falling in love. That's not how it works. <laughs> you got to do more than that. Ryan's tried the fart machine trick many times. <laughs> I've tried the fart machine. I've tried creeping up to them in my car, asking if I could take their training wheels off their bikes. I've tried regular farts. <laughs> Modeled my whole adult life after toys and... I, th- I think it was a mistake. <laughs> Look at me. I now. will say the uh, the LL Cool J line from the cafeteria about food touching and that was not me as a kid. His, yeah, not wanting his food to touch for whatever reason. That line has stuck with me for um, my entire life. From that point, it was. I don't want some food to touch. I think that's a, a, a crazy extreme. But I think some food touching is like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like like mashed potatoes and like turkey for Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's oh, good. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like some things like, no, 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 this isn't going to. Oh, well, like mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce for. Or oh, like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. like there's a line where it's like, this is, this is going to make both things bad. So please don't. Yes. And to be clear, I don't mind food touching. But the line and the yep. way LL Cool J so expertly <laughs> delivered it really made a lasting impact on my life. Yes. Once again, LL Cool J, the real star of this movie. 
I think what Matt's saying is, don't call it a comeback. LL Cool J has been here for years. Mm. Um, all right. Long before other, that shark. Uh, what's that? Long before that shark movie. All right. Other, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw, yeah. What about the other actors? Uh, I mean, Donald O'Connor doesn't get a whole lot to do. He just, you know, kind of shows up and is whimsical for a couple minutes and then dies. Um, I I love the idea though that your pacemaker is tied to your beanie propeller. That that seems like it is unnecessarily complicated and probably dangerous, <laughs> but hilarious. It really pays off. Really pays dividends when he dies. <laughs> we find out later he's like a uh, master, like um, you know. Uh craftsman able to create lifelike uh automatons so he could probably dig her out in there and wire it up to his hat yeah that's one thing uh as everyone knows we always do spoilers and so uh, there's not tons and tons to talk about for toys so we might as well just dig into this yeah we find out at the end that uh uh joan cusack's character character alsatia is has been a robot this whole time and there have been a couple hints that something is weird with her she doesn't really eat normal food she eats like mayonnaise sandwiches with pills in them and she also talks weird i mean even weirder than normal joan cusack like she's putting Mm -hmm. on like kind of like a, a quirky weird way of speaking um she dresses weird um she makes kind of odd comments, like just some some of them are funny, but like she's supposed to be definitely like quirky and out there. And LL Cool J comments that like she always looks the same age, um, but it's said in like a, you know, like a flattering way is the idea of like, you know, that she's uh, like she like she doesn't doesn't look bad or anything. But yeah, then we find out near the end that uh, she's actually a highly sophisticated robot um, that this toy man made. Um, but apparently only did it once and did not create more highly sophisticated robots, which he could have done virtually anything with. That we know of, Linton. Would there have been a Toys 2? Maybe we would have found out more. Would that there were a Toys 2, Matt. Uh, I thought Joe Cusack was fun. I liked her. Yeah. I enjoyed, uh, what was her name, Yardley Smith's character. Uh, very, very brief. Uh, all two minutes of it. <laughs> all two minutes of a non-Lisa Simpson, non-Herman's Head role. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joan Cusack did get one of the best lines in the movie, and it was a line that I remembered from childhood. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to like pull it out, but like once it hit, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's actually a good line. Is near the end, they're running through this facility, and uh, the villain is, like, after them, and he, like, turns on some kind of security thing, and so these red lights come on, oh, and they that. don't know what the red lights are for. I mean, it's kind of obvious that something bad's going to happen, and she says, red usually means caution, or beef if it's a bullion cube, <laughs> and that was a good thing. That's a good line. That's a good line. Really hit home for me because as a kid I used to eat bullion cubes. <laughs> yep. And the beef were the best. Chicken was the, the, 
Chicken we're, was we're learning. We're learning a lot about Ryan here tonight. Um, See, they, and, they checked their uh, facts for that line. Yes, they're definitely and Michael Gambon, our, our British Michael Gambon. Uh, I I like him. He is like he's definitely playing it over the top. Um, and he's got like a general Jack Ripper, Doctor Strange Love thing where he goes crazy. Uh, and you know, and he has a little bit of a redemption arc at the end, which is, I think, I don't, I think it's just the movie decides not to kill him. I don't <laughs> yeah. think he's really redeemed. He doesn't do anything positive. Uh, That's right. Yeah. It, he doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> but he looked kind of happy. At the he, end. he was happy there with grandpa Zevo and they had their little tin army men. Was that like the compromise? They just made him some little soldier toys? Yeah, we're not going to punish you as a war criminal. And in return, you... Actually, he comes out pretty well. He comes. He didn't out look... Well. I, I feel like in the bed, though, he doesn't look, like, super happy. Like, he looked kind of pained. Like, he was, like, kind of, like... Like, I, I don't know if he's... If it's supposed to be either just, like, he's, like, uh, this is all I have now, or and or if his mind was affected when he was like attacked cuz we don't know exactly like how he was injured or what he was happened blown in half. yeah he he's he's more machine now than man we he do Alsatia's only... lower half <laughs> we do only see him from the torso up yeah yes <clears throat> so he's a real Johnny X now uh, he should be a... in prison though he should. I agree. By all uh, accounts, they wanted to keep he it in the family. Be in prison. So I did read. Uh, I came across a blog because there's not tons and tons of information out there about toys. Um, there's some like background notes I can talk about here in a bit, but uh, I did come across a blog where I guess um, somebody went to some sort of like motion picture museum or something that has a bunch of like scripts and stuff on hand and like older versions of scripts. So actually multiple versions of like this script and it's like early stages by Barry Levinson and some of his co-collaborators. Um, and I read like what the original one was, which is really drastic. I mean, it was like, well, so Barry Levinson actually was doing this like 10 years before 92. I'll get into that in a bit, but the original version is not drastically different. There are a handful of scenes that, that differed, but like most of the characters are there. Um, they all have like the same first names. Some of the last names got changed, um, but the basic plot motivations and everything else is there. Uh, Gwen, the love interest for Robin Williams, who's a worker at the plant. She was originally like a secretary for the general, which would actually make sense for her to like be kind of a turncoat you know, that would actually be kind of more interesting, I would argue. <laughs> um, but so they changed that. So she's just one of the workers here. But most of it's the same. But one of the biggest differences was uh, Owen Owens uh -huh. is the one who stumbles into the area with the uh, aquatic uh, kill bot, which is called the uh, sea, swine. Sea, sea swine here. But it was called something else. It's called the guppy, I think. In the original script. Uh, so he stumbles into it and then is killed in there. So he dies. Aww. And then also the general is killed at the end. And so there were deaths in the original. 
uh, oh, and I guess the the brother or the you know the father's Evo, um, the general's brother, he just does die right there in the room, which really he should just die right there in the room because uh, yeah. he he collapses and then he's in then he's back okay in the ambulance and the only thing we get out of the ambulance scene is him talking to owen owens and basically like kind of there's an implication that like he's doing this for a reason and that he like that this is sort of a like it's a calculated move or almost like a game but we could have gotten that before he died but yeah just it just sort of made his death seem weird because like it seems like he dies right then and there which is like impactful and then he's Mm -hmm. not dead and then he dies off screen in the ambulance ride. And then the next thing we see, people are dressed in black. And it's like, uh, it'd have been better if you just dropped dead the way you had it. But anyway, so yeah, there toy. were some... What's that? It could have been a toy of him in the ambulance. Ah. Did this movie have toys made of it? Does anyone know, Ryan? No. It had video no games. It did have a... Like, yeah, there was yeah. a video game, yeah. It's terrible. It's just, It's just <laughs> awful. Are we talking like Back to the Future, awful, you know, from the Nintendo? It's boring and really hard. So like the movie. (laughs) It makes you want to watch. You'd rather watch the movie. I I will say uh, I am not a fan of war video games of of the like the shoot 'em up call of duty that kind of stuff but those video games those kids are playing when they're training <laughs> them to be mass murderers those are some sweet ass looking video games in 1992 yeah, yeah. <laughs> this movie predicted drone warfare it did. i was gonna say yeah. like yeah, like and actually i i kind of like made that comment to myself in one of my notes uh, let me find it, though, because there actually is something on it. Um, yeah, so I came across this note. Uh, Lieutenant General Leland Zevo mentions building armed, quote, toy planes and refers to himself as the General of Tomorrow. Small pilotless aircraft have been used by military since World War One, but the RQ-1 Predator, a system that closely resembles General Zevo's idea, entered service three years after this movie was released. So, uh, yeah, this movie... Uh, eerily predicts drone warfare and uh just to give a little context everyone uh since uh most of you have not seen the major motion picture toys because why would you have um so once the general takes over he wants to uh start creating um like uh like military toys or what's he referred to them as uh war toys war toys toys. um because the zevo Toy Factory has never made war toys. They don't look kindly on it. They always made, like, whimsical, happy stuff. Um, So he wants to create war toys, but he's also just bored in his role. So he wants to, like, go beyond that. And eventually it comes down to, like, he realizes, oh, I could, like, literally make, like, small robots that can just blow shit up. And so that becomes kind of the crux of the movie is, as Matt said... Uh, he's, uh, essentially committing war crimes, uh, or, or really towing that line. Um, yeah. and, uh, and meanwhile, our heroes aren't, don't know exactly what's going on and eventually are uncovering it and then eventually are trying to stop him. So, uh, 
So yeah, there's full well, on it, dro- drone warfare in this movie. Yeah, and not just not just war toys, not just tiny uh, motorized remote control killing machines. He wants children to fly them because he experiences an arcade, which is mm-hmm. what children were doing in 1992, I presume. It's and, true. Uh, were you not a child in 1992, man? Um. Are you actually 73 years old? I Is that I uh, it's true. Are yeah. we finally going to find I'm a out? Highlander. Yeah. Uh but he he brings children. So he's bussing children in. He's training them on the video games to murder people. Yeah. Yep. And people are worth a thousand points. <laughs> but none of them it's all simulated. Like none of, none of it's actually hooked to any. It's not like Buster that. in Arrested Development. Toys too. Toys yes. too. We don't know that. <laughs> well, we find out like his the general's grand plan is to um, making like uh, daycare centers and like poor areas, uh, and then why the kids are there uh, covertly training them to operate the killing machines. Yeah, and he chokes a general inside a giant X-ray machine. <sighs> he does. Which again, you think that usually usually you go to jail for that. Maybe he killed him and then killed all the other ones and nobody knows. No, I think he says that the boys from Washington didn't return his calls and stuff. Oh. They, they never got back to him. But yeah, he uh, he nearly kills that guy. Oh, yeah. Um, also, the, the movie features a, a fairly bizarre part where, uh, so that, yeah, they're in this big x-ray machine to check uh, to make sure no one's like wired. And then they all have uh, like these green glowing skeletons that we're watching through a view screen. And so then we get this like uh, megalomaniacal speech from the general as a green glowing skeleton, which is both like kind of cool, but it's also super bizarre. So it's like, it's a choice that's interesting. Yeah. But again, I don't think the movie's like funny enough to really pull it off. Um, and this is like a 1992 CGI skeleton. So it's like, it's okay. Um, and it, it doesn't need to look like amazing for the bit, but no, it's just, it's a bizarre part and it goes on for a while. And it's one that I did not remember from childhood. Yeah. It, it, it's a rather length, lengthy scene. Uh, it's a rather lengthy scene as is the time spent setting it up because yes. it, they don't just come up and like get in the machine. They sit, they walk there in their underwear and then some other people build the machine around them. See, this is just, it's just a too damn long movie. <laughs> also, on the subject of the general and his mentality, like, yeah, Matt, I know you mentioned that he goes like General Ripper a la Dr. Strangelove, but General Ripper actually had like a reason. It wasn't a sane reason, but he had like a reason and we understood like why he like, like snapped. Um, yeah. And... And, you know, and so he snaps because of personal reasons, but then he also just thinks that the the commies are a threat, so we're going to, like, just take care of them. Well, I don't really totally understand here because the general is trying to sell Washington on these drones, and they, like, don't want to do it, but you would think he would still have opportunities to, like, meet with other groups. I mean, even within the United States, like, you could still, like, try to get meetings with, like, other members of the military, CIA, FBI, somebody, or you meet with, like, 
military contractors, all kinds of possibility, or possibly foreign governments. I don't know. There's a lot of opportunities, and he acts like he has nothing left. And he's also just full on ready to murder people. Like, like oh, he yeah. just he just goes like straight to like, yep, we're just killing. Like he has no plan though. It's not like like what's he gonna do? Like what are you gonna do with the bodies? How are you gonna explain where they went? Like there's no follow up of like where this is all headed. But I don't think they in the script. I mean, Michael Gammon's a great actor, but I don't think in the script they sell it enough to make you think he's that crazed because he still seems. Aside from the scene where he's, like, shooting at a fly, um, he still seems, like, pretty cognizant of his actions. So, it's that's a bit that I think doesn't totally work. That this guy who's, like, is a military man is clearly intelligent. And he's like, oh, well, I'm just going to murder these people and I'll get away with it. Like, oh, okay. Daddy issues. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's all of it's because uh, he couldn't get his... Uh, couldn't get his... Uh, fourth star and mm-hmm. his dad had the fourth star did you notice when he made his own flashy uniform with the little elephants on it he gave himself four i did not notice that but that's yeah. exactly the kind of details that uh makes this movie just what it is <laughs> i agree with you <laughs> it, it he goes from like just like a kind of stable vietnam vet to well we might have a problem up. there with the statement of stable vietnam well <laughs> uh, you know he did he he did want to go back but yeah. like and then he goes to the arcade <laughs> and he shoots up a un van in simulated simulated un van and then all of a sudden he's a crazed murder machine uh that is what video games do to you ladies and gentlemen <laughs> he was almost fragged in vietnam don't don't forget that by one of his own well, I, I think that is what fragging is, though. Yeah. By definition, it has to be one of your own. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, if it's your own, it, it's, it's when your own troops try to kill you. Okay. So, I'm not a military person, but I'm pretty confident that's what it is. Because otherwise, it's just, I was almost killed in Vietnam. And, and then he's not special at all. So, because, you know, they all were almost killed. That's um, probably one of my favorite, uh, more favorite jokes in the movie. Where he's explaining to his uh, grandfather that the or his dad, the old general, that the military's changed, and he said, "When I was in Vietnam, one of my men tried to frag me," and his uh, father like misunderstands it. He's like, "Oh, you just hear him mumble, but you hear him say, oh, you big cock.'" And he's like, "No, I said frag. Tried to frag me." So you know, old man uh, Zevo is you know, he's pretty progressive. <laughs> I did not catch the big yes, talk he, line. <laughs> oh, Matt, you surely caught it. <laughs> but yes, I caught he does. the innuendo. Yeah. I did not catch no, the, the No, the old man speaks in very mumbled language, but there's a couple parts where you can tell certain words, and, and yeah, they, they let that word be heard, I would say. <laughs> Which is surprising for a PG-13 movie. I don't know. You get one fuck in a PG-13 movie. I don't know how many cocks you get, though. One. Depends on how big it is. So, uh, all right. So, what? Uh, I'll I'll put out two things. So you can answer either of these things or both um, jokes, bits that you did like, and or parts that you thought like, oh, this isn't good. 
And that could be either funny stuff or, you know, stuff that's supposed to be funny. Or it could just be, like, stuff that's like, no, this isn't working. I will answer both of those with one scene, and it's the music video. Okay. I like the music video. That's the, one the, of the more the, fun like, parts. The, talking heads. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And then you're like, what the fuck? This is, why is this here? Why is this here? And then you get into it, and you're like, all right, this is clever. And then but then it's it a good song. Going. It's, it's a, a good, good song. song. Yeah, it's a jam. It's a Thomas Dolby song. Is it? I don't know okay. who that is. Who is that? Uh, yeah, he's saying uh, she blamed me in science, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Robin Williams sings it much better than Dolby does. Yeah. Yeah, on the, the on, the, on the soundtrack, it's not Robin Williams singing, which kind of bums me out because I wish it was him, his vocals on it. Yeah. But... I'm like watching this like this is a really well produced video. Like in the background. They just they just have this sitting around. I think they did. <laughs> I like... think Leslie and Anastasia had uh they had a side gig and they had a video already planned and they're like, Oh, how are we gonna get past these guards? Huh? Huh? And then they just pulled it out. Mm-hmm. Heavily influenced by uh, Rene uh, Magritte. Mm. Yes. Very much so. Yes, there's uh, a bit of imagery in this movie that's pulled from him and some other surrealists. Uh, but the poster had Robin Williams uh, in a bowler hat against a blue sky background, which is uh, pulling from uh, uh, The Son of Man, I think, yes. uh, is the Magritte famous painting and then the they also wear that costume he and uh Joan Cusack wear that in the music video I mean it's not exact but it's supposed to be reminiscent it's not the same colors or anything um but in the background there's like raining people in like bowler hats and stuff which is a different painting uh by Magritte I have it down here somewhere it is uh Golconda so uh that's one with like French for, it's men. raining men. Yeah. Yes, there we go. <laughs> All right, other stuff we liked or didn't like or thought was funny. I really like the uh, the um, scene where they're uh, quality checking the fake vomit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's solid. That that's that's a solid scene. That's fun. And then the uh, when the the walls are closing in on them uh, as though it was a uh, they refer to it as a, a crossword puzzle. Uh, it's a good visual, and it's it's a good bit. Really didn't like that uh, scene of uh, him and uh, Sean Penn's wife having lunch. I can't so even remember didn't? her name. It's Robin Wright. No, no. Robin just, Wright. Robin Wright. It's just nothing that he says is really funny, and you can get, like, secondhand cringe, and you're just like, ugh. Ugh. Uh, she's into this guy? Well, I'm he is like in in line to inherit like a multi million dollar business, so there's that as well. So you know, maybe she's just a gold digger, Ryan. We don't know. Fuck. <laughs> uh, all right. So some other stuff. Let's see that I liked. Uh, you're as big a fool as your father ever was. You think so? Thank oh, you. Yeah, that, that was sweet. That was a little good exchange. Um, 
Let's see, what else? A couple of things that I thought were a bit iffy. So when they do that music video, they trick their way into getting to a restricted area with it, and then they like put a little placard over a view screen so it says MTV to like trick the guards into thinking that that's what's on there, which is like, it's, easy, it's a decent bit. Um, but then you've got Robin Williams' big fat face like straight on in the camera, like for so much of that video, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like the guards don't recognize the 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 nephew of the owner of the business and the nephew who like is always there is one of the highest ranking people in the company. They all wear ID badges, like he's wearing a hat and some glasses. And I know we could go the Clark Kent thing on this, but it's pretty clearly Robin Williams. <laughs> He's not really in disguise. Um, so that was a bit iffy. I will also say that <laughs> there's a bit that I totally forgot about. So there's some song called Happy Workers. Oh, like yeah. I, I wrote about that. So, all right. So I'll throw out mine and then you throw out yours. But but it's, so I guess it's by Tori Amos. It's not a terrible song, but it's it's a bit grating in certain ways. But yeah, so it's playing in the factory, and this is like early in the movie before the general has taken over, and he's like walking through and just learning about the place. And uh, so it's playing through the loudspeakers, and then you see all these workers in this whimsical toy factory are like assembling dolls and moving stuff along an assembly line and doing all this kind of stuff. And they all they they're almost like made to look like they're fucking Christmas elves, like you know they're just like enjoying their day and all this kind of stuff. It's like okay, fine, but there's at least one of them. Some, like, middle-aged, uh, chubby lady who's singing along the, to the lyrics of Happy Workers. And I was like, <laughs> hold up. Yeah. This song has played enough times in this factory that she's memorized the lyrics. And you're telling me that she isn't just like, no, fuck this. <laughs> like, that she hasn't crossed, like, that. no, she's like, no, I'm a happy worker, and I love this song. This song is my jam. It's like, no. Like, it'd be one thing if that song played, like, oh, okay, once a month you hear happy workers or whatever. But, like, it's played enough. She knows the lyrics. No, there's not a person in the world. No one who's ever worked retail is going to be like, oh, yeah, that's great. Because, I mean, everyone clearly hates uh, when retail people hate when holiday season comes around and they have to listen to Mariah Carey for the next, uh, you know, six six weeks or whatever. Hey, the Zebo Toy Company. The Zebo Toy Company paid Tori Amos $3.5 million for the rights to use that song. (laughs) So they're going to get their fucking money's worth. Yes, it plays every day at precisely 8.15 a.m. To 7.35 p.m. Yes. Uh, no, I had the same thought. I was like, so I was like, okay, is this, is this music playing in the factory or is it just background for the scene? Right. And then very clearly, okay, they're dancing. This music is playing. And then she is singing along and it's like, oh, no. These people are all brainwashed. <laughs> or they're sociopaths. Yes. The uh we, we all think that the general was the villain, but actually the original Zevo plant, it was worse. We just came oh, yeah. into the story Much later. Yes. Yeah. The general was a hero, really. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. You know, it's just history was written by the victors. So we just we're just seeing it from uh from Robin Williams' perspective. We will learn more about that in the gritty reboot. 
I will say, as someone who has had uh, decades in manufacturing, um, it's not a very well-run plant. <laughs> they just got shit falling out of mouths. I mean, that's that's not. <laughs> that's no, how you that, make it. It's very, it's very poor, very, very poor flow. I mean, they they could really they 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 could really improve their efficiency. Uh, speaking of some design elements, uh, there yes. is one thing that we see. Uh, well, I still want to hold off a little bit on the look of it, but there is one bit as far as within the world of the film. Um, so to get to like the CEO's office, or at least to like the upper floor where the CEO and like other offices are, you have to take stairs. And the stairs have no handrail, and the <laughs> stairs literally move on wheels. So you are just walking up these stairs that are simultaneously moving forward like 10 feet that you could fall backwards or to the side from at a moment's notice. Oh, yeah. And I was like, those stairs are incredibly dangerous. And I will say, both in the world of the film and in our reality, those stairs are incredibly dangerous <laughs> for those actors to be on. Which both of them were older actors, too. Owen Owens was about 75. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that you can see them both kind of freeze up once it starts moving. Yes. They stop walking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could not uh, get the stunt people for that. Ziva Toys was shut down one year after <laughs> that uh, for 237 OSHA violations. Yes. It was only ever beat by the Walka factory, so. Nice. <laughs> Uh, all right. One other bit that I did think was actually kind of funny um, was, uh, which there aren't a whole lot of, I would argue, funny bits from Robin Williams. I mean, he does his yep. standard kind of stuff, but there's not a whole lot of like great jokes. But he does have a bit where uh, they're all sitting in a dining room and they're like talking about what they're going to do with the general, and he has like a uh, like a little towel. It was like a it's like a napkin that was on the table. So yeah. the bit is he's draped it over his hand and then he has his hand in like that way where you like make your thumb into a jaw. And so it's like a talking, you know, like a mouth kind of thing. And so his hand is supposed to be Mother Teresa. Um, and so the, the hand looks kind of like a scrunched up mouth. And then he's doing like a Mother Teresa voice and he's feeding his hand soup. And that was that was a pretty good Robin Williams That's, bit. Oh, yeah. give him that. Yeah. that. That was one of my formative moments. My, uh, in in yeah. your life. Mm -hmm. yes. It was. It was. It was. Mine was when uh, Sean Penn's wife took her shirt off. You don't see anything, though. I know, but that was enough for young Ryan. <laughs> he didn't know any better. And he still doesn't. <laughs> uh, all right. Any, anything else, uh, good or bad, we want to highlight? Little moments. The Zimmer. Okay. No, I love Han Zimmer's score to it. Cool. It gives me the goosebumps sometimes. Yeah, there's some fun stuff. I did look up the score, and they don't have a whole lot from Zimmer on it, because there's not like... Well, it's a soundtrack album, so they only have like a couple mm. tracks from him. And usually, even for obscure movies, uh, you know, if it's even like has any kind of like major person associated with it like Hans Zimmer or Robin Williams or something usually there will eventually be a score album release like even just for collectors 
but it looks like it's not out there. So I think the soundtrack is the only one. And so that has the Tori Amos song, has a little bit from Zimmer. It has like the kind of military song that you hear that's by like Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Mm. Um, that's like when like military shit's going down near the end. Um, has a few, has that, you know, the, the talking heads type song, you know, the, the eighties synth, synth type song, whatever, Ryan. <laughs> and then it's got the best song, the, the closing of the year song. Yes. The happy Christmas song, uh, featuring are, seal. The movie opens and closes with some Christmas imagery, and then Ryan, one of your favorite parts is what? Look out! It's Christmas. Yes, when Robin Williams oh, is is shaking his hair with uh, with with fake snow over um, his sister's severed, sparking head. Yes. All right. Uh, all right. So a couple of background notes I can throw out here before we move in to some production stuff. Um, so that scene where Robin Williams addresses all the troops when he's uh, talking to them all and like going rattling off kind of Patton type dialogue and pulling from a couple other movies and stuff and historical speeches. So that was apparently ad libbed. Um, and oh, wow. Levinson would just keep the camera rolling every time Robin Williams was on set, which was a wise choice just in general yes. with, with having Robin Williams, because as we all know, he would just fuck around at a moment's notice and uh, it is one of the better sequences, I think. I agree. Uh, you know, it works. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so apparently, and I didn't know this, but uh, so this was a long-cherished project for writer, producer, and director Barry Levinson, and it was originally set to be his directorial debut, and this movie took him over 10 years. So Diner came out in 82, and that was a success. Um, that's what put him on the map and allowed him to make, like, The Natural and then many other films mm-hmm. in his career. Um, but for whatever reason, toys was like this thing. He just is a passion project and I don't get it. Not that there's, <laughs> I mean, again, we'll talk about the production stuff soon, but I read the synopsis of the original script cause it was like, well, okay, maybe stuff changed over time and maybe the original sounds more interesting and it's really pretty much the same. It would have been 10 years prior. The only big difference other than I said, the deaths was there's this industrial espionage, like, minor plot line just kind of gets brought up and then dropped it really is just to get ll cool j into the movie um you know on a dare i would guess um but he's uh he's in it he is the general's son and he's working with the general and eventually switches sides because of like you know betrayals and things anyway in the original plot though he uh they they like they steal some toy designs and start implementing them. And then the money from that, they start doing the war toys. Um, and then another version, they don't, they like, I don't know. They do something else. They spy on something or, or whatever it is. So there's this kind of other side plot that got cut that really wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, anyway, it's just surprising to me that this was like Barry Levinson's big thing that he was super passionate about. Just because I don't, I don't see why. Like, I'm not, that's not, I'm not saying that to be like, fuck this movie. I just mean like, I don't, like, what is the central thing that was like, because he didn't have the production design. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He knows, I want it to be whimsical and colorful, but until you hire somebody to do that, you don't really know. 
And Barry Levinson himself, he's not like a Tim Burton. He's not like known to be a super visual director anyway. So he wasn't doing sketches and shit, I don't think. So like, so the visuals all came later. So then you're just talking about the story. And the story as it is, is like, okay, a conflict between like a free thought guy and a militaristic guy. And so maybe it just, maybe Levinson as an artist just saw kinship with William's character or something. Or maybe he saw it as like a commentary on Vietnam or I I don't, I don't know, but I'm not sure what draws you to like, to the point of like, this is so important to me when I like, I couldn't make it at the beginning of my career when I can make it, I will. And 10 years later he does. I just don't. Cause like, for instance, like, like one of the big passion projects for Kubrick that he was never able to do and he had a script for it and he was ready to go, um, was Napoleon. And the reason he didn't do Napoleon was because a movie called Waterloo came out right before he was going to enter production. He's like, well, I can't do it now because it'll be like, oh, we just saw that. And so he kept wanting to do it, but he's like, well, I probably should wait a while. And then he got involved in other projects. But Napoleon and Stanley Kubrick, I absolutely understand that. Napoleon's a fascinating historical character. You can do all kinds of stuff with the history of it, with the visuals. I get why that would appeal to Stanley Kubrick. I don't totally get why toys is Barry Levinson's bread and butter, especially when you look at the rest of his career and it's not like, Oh, this is emblematic of everything he's done. It's really not. It's kind of an outlier to a lot of his stuff. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, you know, I was watching this with my fiance and she's like, what is the point of this movie? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't toys. Good army bad. Yeah, that's why all the trailers for it were garbage. The trailers couldn't even convey what the hell the movie was about. Most of them were just Robin Williams standing in a field saying silly stuff. Well, I feel like if you can't get the point of the movie across in in like a minute shy of two hours, then <laughs> you know you're probably going to struggle with the trailer too. <laughs> Well, Ryan, uh, on, on the trailers, uh, I don't know if you knew this connection or if you picked it up, but yeah, so um, they shot some of this movie. There's a certain area of the country, right? Uh, Matt, you might know, or one of you might know, but like I saw it, it's like in Washington State into Iowa where it has these like rolling hills. Oh. So that that visual look, like you made the joke of the like mm-hmm. uh, Windows 95, which other people have made that kind of reference. Um, but it's some specific area of the country where, it, like, that is a geographical feature. Um, mm. And so they shot a lot of, like, the outdoor stuff there. And it has a really cool look. And we'll talk about that. But um, but they shot some of the teaser trailer stuff there with Robin Williams standing in these, like, rolling hills. So any Simpsons fan, um, and we always <laughs> have to get our Simpsons reference in, but any Simpsons fan will remember the um, episode for... Uh, like the when the when Jay Sherman comes to the Simpsons, I can't remember what the title of the episode is offhand. Um, but it's when Mr. Burns is is trying to the Springfield Film Festival one. Oh right, and, right. and Mr. Burns is trying to basically like buy his way to an award, um, but he has uh, like a trailer for himself, and he is standing in a green like green rolling hills and he's wearing a little suit and he's got a little bowler hat and he's talking straight to the audience. And that comes from the teaser trailer for toys. They were oh, yeah. parodying this cause it was like probably a year prior to that episode or something. Cause they probably like people would have seen it and they probably thought it was silly. Yeah. 
Um, and then Mr. Burns does a little dancing, let's all go to the lobby uh, in the bit. But yeah, so anyone who's a Simpsons fan remembers that bit that actually comes from the teaser trailers for toys. So uh, look it up on YouTube and you can see where, uh, and then compare to the Mr. Burns bit. Um, all right, so uh, without further ado, let's get into the look of this to wrap this up. It looks great. It does. It really does. No, it does. It's 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 very stunning. It's a visually stunning movie. I think the art direction is fantastic, and it really has this unique, whimsical, colorful, bright, uh, bright look to it. And all the toys are bright colors. You know, the toys that the company makes are these old wind-up tin toys that, that are very classic. And even the military toys, even the army toys are they have still... They cool design. They, they're very cool. They've got these big... The tanks have these big green eyes and bright red missiles. And they're cool. They're they're cool. Uh, the only thing I don't like is the sea swine. It doesn't really fit in with the visual <laughs> right. style of the movie. Right. Well, the... Uh, but I, I would argue since it's from the general's... Like, he's the one making it, and he wants some kind mm. of monstrous thing. Like, I think it kind of fits because yeah. it's, like, it's this creature that he's concocted. Um, but, yeah, the the uh, there's little tanks that drive around and, and shoot actual ammunition, like bullets and, I don't know, little cannonballs and stuff. Um, and they also have little heads with little soldier helmets, which I wouldn't be surprised if those soldier helmets are, like, vaguely Nazi-esque. I couldn't quite tell, but it looked like maybe they were, like, kind of swooped down like uh, like Nazi oh, ones. Yeah. Um, but they also have, like, like as Matt said, these, like, kind of glowing eyes. They have a little face. They, they put a little, like, face on it. So they do look like toys. So it's not just, like, it's not just, like, a remote control tank. So they gave it this kind of whimsy of, like, it could be some kind of child thing. And then there's these drone helicopters... Um, which again could just look like, oh, they're just like little flying, like, like tiny helicopters that fire stuff, but they gave them these like what appear to be like big insect eyes. So they're also glowing. So it gives it this appearance of like a face instead of having just like a big, like, you know, windshield, like on a regular helicopter, it's got, you know, two big glowing kind of eyeball things. Um, so that visual is super cool. I will say my favorite of the military toys, though, is this doll that walks in like a little, you know, blonde haired girl doll uh, walks in and then stops and then her head splits open (laughs) and there's this bright blue head and then a cannon like stretches her mouth open. It's the thing of nightmares. (laughs) It is. It is wicked. That thing, and in the same scene, yeah. there is a ball that bounces. The ball, in yeah. That, yeah. That is looks like a, like a beach ball, and then it starts to open up. So, like how a beach ball has all the different colors that come together at the point, the center. So then it those open up. So it's like a tin toy, and it opens up, and so now those are pointed, and then it kind of like pulls out like a flower, like opens like a flower, and then kind of inverts on itself. And now it's like a little tin toy hula girl and the the beach ball colors are the skirt and it's held up on these like pointed skirt ends. So it's like almost like the the fucking robots in uh, Phantom Menace. (laughs) Like it's got this like unsettling (laughs) nature to it. And so both of these are like coming for LL Cool J in the same scene. Um, And so, yeah, I, I 
greatly enjoyed the like visual effects of that moment. Ryan, what do you like on the the look of everything? Key parts you enjoy? I really enjoy the uh <clears throat> just the, the 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 red uh long coat and the red bowler from the uh poster and the music video. I tried really hard to uh get those for my senior prom. Kind of hard to find. I was going to say you should do that for Look, Halloween sometime. Looking yeah. back, glad I'm glad I didn't do it. <laughs> Probably would have been made fun of. Uh Ryan was beaten up enough. <laughs> they punched a real hole through the hat. Oh. <laughs> I think the music video is really like the highlight. So if you are out there, dear listeners, and you want to experience the movie, find just just find that music video. Uh, all right. Well, some stuff. Yeah. So we talked about the, the look of it, but I'll say like, yeah, it's very bright. A lot of really striking colors. Um, so just like mm. when we're saying like red, you know, like in scenes that are red, it's like Crayola crayon bright red. Um, yeah. it, it like w- colors of walls and stuff. And then there'll be some pastels. Matt said that there are these like tin toy kind of things. So there's all these like throwback looking styles, but they're all, none of them are like real toys to my knowledge. None of them are like, none of them are famous. There's not any like, Oh, there's Mr. Potato Head or anything. Um, They might've based some on some like particular designs or something, but I think they're all like created for the film. So that's pretty impressive because some of them look pretty damn cool. Um, Although I don't know if any of those toys would actually have sold in 1992. I, I don't know if anything would have been uh, popular for some of those things. Um, there's, I mentioned the rolling hills outside. Uh, there's also rolling hills inside. There's this stretch of hallway that they take a, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. a golf cart on several times that just like rolls up and down in this whimsical way that's a nice little touch. Uh, I also greatly enjoy the general has a weirdo camouflage costume at some point. I love point. it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so he's wearing camouflage, he's wearing fatigues. So he has like a cap and like military fatigues, but they aren't like green and they aren't like, you know, desert camo, like brown or anything. They're made of all these like crazy colors, like bright pink and bright yellow and bright red. Um, because he is trying to camouflage himself within this insane world of all of these bright colors. It's just a nice little visual touch that I enjoy because it's it's him trying to still be himself uh, while within this world that he really doesn't belong in. Um, yeah, and so the uh, the designer of this movie is actually it's uh, Fernando uh, Fernando Scarfiotti. And I looked him up, and he had done uh, production design for a number of films, but and, and some of them were, like, fairly prominent films, but nothing that was like this that I could see. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he worked on Willy Wonka, or he worked on Star Wars. I mean, he, like, he didn't do anything, like, super fantastical. They were all, like, kind mm-hmm. of dramas and things. So it was particularly impressive uh, what he was able to do. I don't know exactly what his background was. Um, but it says that it took over a year designing the sets, and that overtook every soundstage at Fox Studios in Los Angeles. So uh, they uh, they really went all out for toys. And then he pulled from uh, Magritte's art, and uh, as well as other surreal imagery. And then he was also influenced by Dadaism, Modernism, and Italian Futurism, 
including the work of Fortunato de Perro, um, hmm. who I do not know. I'm not familiar with, but I did look up some of his stuff, and it you know was interesting and striking. It's not too surprising that uh, the production designer would have seen some inspiration from his works. All right, so. Anything else we want to say about toys before wrapping up here? Uh, I, if you're interested, the car Robin Williams is driving, it's a 1950 Munts Jet. I was interested. Car. Yeah. It's and there were only car. like 400 made or something, right? Something, something like that. Yeah. Something yeah, really yeah. low, it what was, I saw. Is a very low, yeah. Some lucky fan of toys out there is going to have to track that down. You know, one of, one of the, the three of them. So uh, Ryan, Ryan tried to get it for his senior prom, but <laughs> could not find it. At the very end, El uh, Cool J shakes Robin Williams' hand, and it pops off. And just the amount of hair they had to put on the hand to make it look like his <laughs> is very humorous. <laughs> what is the deal with the credit scene where they're flying the elephant tombstone? head like through the sky i don't like i i wasn't sure oh i didn't make it that far i I turned it off (laughs) (laughs) i had to guess it was probably like just b-roll of them just flying the thing into the set or whatever that's what i assumed like this looks fun but why why did they put it in the movie because they wanted to be just a little bit longer Barry Levinson was like, ah, no, this is my passion project. I have to have, I must have this video. This video represents the the years of struggle that it took me to make it. So we will put it in the credits. Yes, I'm that elephant. Ah, yes. Uh, So I just skimmed through the movie here. Uh, So there is a, well, that elephant has a name. It's kind of a mascot. Milton the Friendly Elephant. Milton the Friendly Elephant. So he's sort of the Mickey Mouse of this uh, toy company. And so you see various toys of him, and uh, there's a big statue of him, which is like over the gravesite of uh, of the father who dies at the very beginning. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember this now. Uh, yeah, there's a credit sequence at the end where yeah, this the the elephant uh, statue is like floating through the air, although you can see it suspended by wires. Yeah, um, and so I think as a kid. I just took it to be, oh, this movie's like, I wouldn't have known the word whimsical, but I would have understood the concept, you know, so this is like whimsical, fantastical or whatever. And I think I just assumed because the dad was like zany and stuff, it like might have been like, you know, like he planned this or this is his spirit or something (laughs) like that. Um, But yeah, looking at it now, yeah, you're right. Why is that here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As will Uh, in every eight months, it must be flown around the property. I mean, he did. Crows. He did make a convincing humanoid robot, so maybe he <laughs> could make a flying elephant thing uh, that just wanders around the property, terrifying everyone every once in a while. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was clearly suspended by a helicopter. They didn't. They didn't even try to hide it. Yeah. Well, there would have been no CGI to you know get rid of the wires and stuff, but uh, you can't see the helicopter in the shot. Uh, uh, you can when it's over. Well, you can see the wake. You can see the wake from the <laughs> from the blades. 
Well, when Barry Levinson listens to this episode, he's going to be very heartbroken. He's like, he's like, no, this was supposed to be whimsy and it was flying on its own. And that Matt guy is just a prick. uh, (laughs) Call me Barry. Barry Levinson's still around. Yes. Okay. I mean, as far as I know. It wasn't wake. It was sheer whimsy. (laughs) I did read that apparently he has like continued to defend the movie. I didn't read Good exactly on. like what he said Good or anything, but yeah. uh, but I, I you know it would be I'd be curious to see what he has to say. Well, actually, it, it, it's a parable about, about World War One. Fuck you up! I'll cut you. There are no great wars. Yes. All Is right. that the line in the in the movie where he says uh, that uh, Robin Williams says his dad uh, always said that war was the domain of the small penis? Yes. Yes. Uh, I always thought that's what he said. And on that note, would you recommend toys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would not. All right, Ryan? I mean... Let's let's hear your case. You probably won't like it, but... (laughs) It's, it's It's a fun little journey. Getting there is half the fun, you know. Just, just don't 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 watch it. All right, but you do enjoy toys. Oh yeah, but I'm heavily nostalgia influenced. All right, Matt, I will keep it in my nostalgia and never watch it again. Uh, and and recommend you do the same, dear listener. <laughs> I listen to the Christmas song every year, though. The music video is good, though. The music video yep. is good. Just watch that. No, it's bad. It's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's boring. It's long. It's not funny. Uh, you could, like, the visuals are good. Find a highlight reel, but don't mm-hmm. watch it. Uh, I would recommend it just if you are a movie fan and you want to see something kind of different. If you want to, if you like good and interesting visuals, if you like fantastical movies, so I mean, Tim Burton is the obvious, like, for, you know, fantastical stuff of the last 30, 40 years, but there are many other directors who have ventured into that kind of territory. So if you like interesting visuals, especially ones that slant into, like, a fantasy area, um, I think it's worth it just to see that kind of stuff. But yeah, just know going into it, it's unlikely you're going to walk away with, like, that movie was great. Or it's it's so funny or so wonderful. Like, it's it's just kind of there. Um, like, as a good example, on uh, Letterboxd, you can rate a movie from anywhere from a half star up to five stars. And so I gave this movie 2.5 stars. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's, like, it's not a bad, like, terrible film. A three for me is, like, oh, that's a movie that, like, did its job. It's competent. It's enjoyable. I think this is, like... This could have crossed over into a three if it had some, like, good jokes and probably trimmed some time. Um, But, yeah, right now it's just, like, very much, like, on on that tipping point of, like, uh, it's almost kind of fun. And then it's like, uh, but it's not really. But it's not outright bad is where I would land. I I would agree that it's kind of boring. um, But there's some stuff that kind of keeps you going uh, in it. So yeah, I would recommend it really only for kind of like hardcore movie fans. 
Um, I wouldn't even really recommend it for families, because, um, like, when you could say, like, oh, we could just, like, throw this on, so whimsical Robin Williams movie. It's not, <laughs> like, it's not it's bad, bad or super adult, but there is, like, a sex scene that really doesn't need to be in this movie, and there are some, you know, like, uh, language bits that are thrown out there. Big um, you know, there's that, and, you know, the the uh, small penis line, and then there's, like, an affair that happens with like this nurse and uh and like the general and his son and again it's not like a yeah, heinous, that was weird yeah that was weird it's not like a heinous movie but it's one of those kind of things where like you know if you see like oh whimsical robin williams movie like if you were in a a video store in the 90s like oh let's watch this and then you would get to certain scenes and be like oh that's unusual that that's in this movie huh um and then you have to suffer through that for the next couple minutes um, so yeah, it's not even, I, I mean, I think I saw some people on Letterboxd being like, who is this movie for? Which is an excellent question because it's really, it's not a children's film. No. It's not geared toward children. The visuals would appeal to children, I think, and appealed to me and I think to Ryan and Matt as well. Yes. But the plot isn't really geared toward children and children are in it, but used as pawns in like a very small way. And so there's no like child character that you focus on or anything. Um, but it's definitely not like adult enough to really appeal to adults, but it's also not like funny enough or cool enough where you could just be like, oh, any age could appreciate. It's not like Willy Wonka where it's like, oh, everyone can find things to enjoy. So yeah, anyway, I would recommend it only like kind of to movie buffs, um, people who like interesting and weird visuals, possibly if you're a Robin Williams fan and you just want to see kind of the, the, outer edges of his career. He definitely made worse movies than this. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so a, a tepid recommendation for me, but uh, but not an outright uh, no. It's All better right. than the video game. I'm sure it is. Uh, okay, so uh, can I find this? Uh, so I always look these up, and this one actually is one of those rarities that, like, there is very little to be found of toys. A lot of the ones that we watch... They will often be on DVD, um, not always, but often on Blu-ray, and then uh, usually they're streaming at least somewhere. And we have had a handful that are, like, very hard to track down, um, you know, like, officially and legally. Um, this movie is one of the hardest, not not explicitly the hardest, but, like, one of them, because this movie was released on DVD, but from what I can tell, it looks like it is now out of print. So you can acquire one, but you can't get it new, at least like not on Amazon and stuff. So you'd have to like get a used copy from someone. Um, there doesn't appear to be any Blu-ray for it, which is also surprising to me because, yes, this isn't a great movie. But visually, it's real cool. And that would be a reason to put it on Blu-ray. And lots of way worse movies have been put on Blu-ray. Um, and it's Robin Williams. So you figure you could trick some people into buying it just for that. Um, but on DVD... Out of print, I think. No Blu-ray. And from what I could tell, there is no streaming for this to be found anywhere. Um, at least on the... I, I usually go to Just Watch, and that will list uh, where you can see stuff. And they chronicle just about every major streaming platform. And it doesn't list anything. Um, and I just out of curiosity, I did a quick YouTube search, because sometimes movies are uploaded in full, especially if they're like not super famous, and nobody's really giving a shit about the copyright and stuff. And at least currently, it's not uploaded on there either. So the only way really to see toys is get a DVD or find a torrent of it. 
uh, or find an old VHS copy. There uh, is one at my parents' house you can have. I was about ready to make a joke like at your grandparents' house or something, but apparently it's Matt's house, so go to Matt's <laughs> yeah. house. Come on over, guys. I'll yeah. be there for Christmas. <laughs> All right, so that wraps us up for toys. I hope it was everything you ever wanted it to be, Ryan. And uh, more. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know that we'll ever do ghost fever, though. You push, push hard for ghost fever. May, maybe someday if you're good. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, Toys is one of our, uh, our our festive films for uh, for the holiday season here. Uh, this will release in uh, in like mid mid December, I think, early to mid December. Um, and we have a tradition here, uh, three years running, where we always do a Christmas film that is uh, tied. I mean, well, it's always like a terrible Christmas film. So it's always has like a, a Christmas element to it, but it's usually like some kind of horror slanted thing. Mm. Um, but it's like super bad. So the first one we watched was Elves, a truly terrible but very entertaining uh, bad movie called Elves from the 80s. And then last year we watched Dial Code Santa Claus. Um, which is not really terrible. It's actually quite entertaining, but very bizarre and out there, like home invasion movie that is very Home Alone-esque before Home Alone was made. Um, and so this year we are going to be watching Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. <laughs> I, I have not seen this. It also has to do with toys. It's called The Toy Maker. That's the subtitle. Uh, I have not seen this. Uh, I've just heard about it on Twitter some people talking about it was a pretty wild ride. I wa- I'll talk about this on the episode, but I had seen the original Silent Night, Deadly Night years ago. Didn't think it was very good. But <laughs> I saw that um, most of the other ones were on Shudder. And so I was like, well, okay. So I rewatched one, and then I watched two, three, and four just in preparation. And now I'll watch five. So I have seen the entire oeuvre of Silent Night, Deadly Night films. Uh, going into this one, but from what I've heard, it's supposed to be like actually kind of fun and crazy bad. The other ones, the second one is famous for Garbage Day. If anyone garbage knows that, day. the Garbage Day, which uh, is a very fun little bit, but the rest of that movie is just bad and not fun. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm holding out hope that Silent Night, Deadly Night Five, um, really really hits the mark we want, and then. Uh, I will just go ahead and reveal now. Usually I wait, but since these will release uh, very quickly, one after another, it'll be a few days. Uh, the last couple years, we have also released uh, an extra episode for Christmas. Uh, regular listeners know that we will do um, kind of a reversal three times a year where we look at an actually famous movie. So we started that with April Fool's Day where we did the switcheroo. Um, and then just doing one a year wasn't really enough for us. Um, so we implemented the, uh, uncanny cinema Christmas present. So that's what this one will be. And then there's one in the summer, which is our summer blowout sale. Everything must go. And so, uh, for summer, we did midsummer this year. Um, and for the uncanny cinema Christmas present, we are going to be looking at it's a wonderful life, the amazing, wonderful, charming film. It's a wonderful life and quite dark as well. Um, so those two episodes will drop very quickly one after the other, uh, Saturday night, daily night five, and then it's a wonderful life will be probably a couple days before Christmas or something. So, uh, keep an eye out for those, uh, and we will see you then.